Welcome back to the Word Encounter, episode 135, where today we'll be picking it up in Isaiah chapter 54. Before I get started, I just want to put a plug in uh, for episode 134. If you have not seen it or listened to it, I highly recommend that you do, for I uh, think that it's critical that people understand uh, what Jesus went through on our behalf. And so with that, let's go on with chapter 54. And the section title to this says, Future Glory for Israel. And we're going to pick it up in chapter 5, excuse me, in verse 5. It says, Indeed, your husband is your maker. His name is the Lord of armies. And the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called God of the whole earth. And so we see here that God is the God of the entire uh, um, terra firma, the entire earth, you know, the whole world, not just the God of the Israelites. A lot of times people can read through the Old Testament and think that it's just the Israelites that are being spoken to, but this is not true. Uh, The Israelites were chosen by the Lord in order to usher in his glory, uh, but they failed to do so time and time again, so he had to discipline them. But his, his intention was always for the whole earth to be saved after the fall of Adam. And so uh, we drop down to verse 7, and it says, uh, the Lord says again, this is Isaiah prophesying to the people um, some 170 years out uh, before these events uh, uh, were to take place. And so he's essentially giving a word of encouragement to future generations that have yet to be born (laughs) uh, for many, many, many decades. And so it says in verse 7, I deserted you, I being the Lord, deserted you, for a brief moment, but I will take you back with abundant compassion. And so through Isaiah, his oracle, he is prophesying that, yes, the Lord is is acknowledging uh, that he abandoned his people, but just for a brief moment, and that uh, his intention was always to bring them back uh, with abundant compassion. It says in verse 8, in a surge of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment. But I will have compassion on you with everlasting love. And so he was angry, so he hid his face. But my compassion is always with you. You know, we've been, I know I've been there as a father when I've been angry with my children and, and, and didn't feel like I was in the proper frame of mind to deal with them at that time. Now, I'm not saying that, that, that God was feeling those same kind of emotions, uh, but I know that my love never departed from them, even though I was upset with them. And it says, um, uh, I will have compassion on you with everlasting love, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Verse 9, for this is like the days of Noah. <clears throat> He says, for this is like the days of Noah to me, when I swore that the water uh, of Noah would never flood the earth again. So I have sworn that I will not be angry with you or rebuke rebuke you. And so uh, to him, this was no different than, than Noah because the Lord had become upset with the ways of the world at that time. So he sent the flood and, but he saved Noah and, you know, two of every kind. And, and the, the, the humanity was essentially rebirthed through Noah. And, uh, so the Lord is saying that that this is kind of like that to me where I was upset with you, but you know, I will not, I will not be angry with you or rebuke you anymore or any further. And so if we go down to verse 15, it says, If anyone attacks you, it is not for me. So from this moment forward, if anybody attacks you, this is not for me. Whoever attacks you will fall before you. 
Not only is it not uh, from me, but I'm going to make sure that they fall before you. It says in verse uh, uh, 17, no weapon formed against you will succeed and you will refute any uh, accusation raised against you in court. This is the heritage of the Lord's servants and their vindication is from me. This is the Lord's declaration. And so the Lord is saying that he is going to protect them. And by extension, uh, because uh, we call on his name, he is going to protect us from any uh, accusation. And it's gonna, it says that no weapon, no, no weapon formed against you. In other uh, translations, it says no weapon formed against you will prosper. You know, no weapon for, formed against you will succeed. No weapon formed against you will have success at uh, defeating you, harming you, uh, um, uh, castigating you, doing any kind of negative thing uh, towards you. No weapon formed against you by my enemies will succeed. And you refute any and all accusations. Hallelujah. Let's go into chapter 55. The section title says, Come to the Lord. It says in verse 1, Come, everyone who is thirsty. Come, everyone who is thirsty. It, it just doesn't say everybody come. It says, if you're thirsty, come. If you want what I have to offer, then come. See, so, so there has to be, there's a filtering system, right? You know, and, and it filters out those who aren't thirsty. <clears throat> It's not just saying, come to get, get something from me, come get a blessing, uh, come because you think you're going to use me for something. It says, come if you are thirsty. If you are thirsty for what? If you're thirsty for me. If you want me, come. If you want what I have, come. If you want my peace, my salvation, see. If you want me to be uh, your, savior, your Savior and your Lord. See, some people just look at the saving part, but Jesus is Savior and Lord. See, come if you want both. Then that means you're thirsty. Come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the water, you and you without sil silver, come by and eat. See? What does that mean, you without silver? Let's keep reading. It says, come by wine and milk without silver and without cost. Wait, how can I buy wine and milk, you know, food or whatever, without, without any money? It says, come. It says, come by and eat the wine, the milk, the food that I have. See, not what you're thinking. You're thinking food that you eat in your mouth and it goes down to your stomach or wine that you drink or milk that you drink and it satisfies your thirst. That's not the kind of hunger and thirst I'm talking about, says the Lord. Verse two, it says, why do you spend on what is not food and your wages on what does not satisfy? It's kind of a rhetorical question, but he's saying, look, you are spending money that you have and money that you earn. You know, you're spending your efforts in order to earn that money so you can turn around and use that money uh, to buy food that you can eat and, and drink that you can drink. But it only satisfies for, at most, a number of hours, right? Then you get hungry again and you got to go through the cycle again. And so the Lord is questioning, he says, why do you only think about that? Why do you spend silver on what is not food and your wages on what does not satisfy? Well, then what does he want us to do? He says, listen carefully to me and eat what is good and you will enjoy the choices of foods. See, and so what the Lord is doing is he is uh, analogizing, he is analogizing his 
measure, his sustenance, his wherewithal. He is analogizing that to food. And he's saying, come without money. You don't need any money to come to me. You don't have to pay me anything. Come and partake of what I have. Come and partake of what I have to offer. Come and sup on what I give you. Because what I give you has everlasting properties. What I give you is not temporal. See, what I give you has the power to satisfy now and into eternity. So you're looking short term, right? You're just looking at what can happen right now. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty right now. Let me satisfy this right now. But wait a few hours and you'll be there again. <laughs> and then if you satisfy it, then wait a few more hours and you'll be there again. See, the Lord is saying partake of something that is not going to diminish, that is not going to go away. Partake of me. And so he's making that um, invitation. And so we go down to verse six and it says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call to him while he is near. This implies that he's not always going to be able to be found. This implies that he's not always going to be available to be found. And to be sure, there's going to come a time where it's going to be too late to turn to the Lord. The timing is on him, you know, but there will come a time where it becomes too late. So it says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call to him while he is near. Verse 7, let the wicked one abandon his way and let the sinful one his thoughts. See, so he's saying that the wicked one has ways. Let that wicked one uh, abandon those ways. He says, and the sinful one has evil thoughts. See, the sinful one thoughts. And so if we want to eradicate sin from our lives, what we have to do is we have to eradicate those sinful thoughts. Well, how can you control your thoughts? Honestly, I'm not 100% sure. But I do know that if you fill your, 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 your existence with righteousness, then those thoughts have a tendency to not even appear. You know, so if we are bombarded with, with evil thoughts consistently, to me that's a sign that we are not filled up with holiness and righteousness such that those things don't even come our way. Let the wicked one abandon his way and let the sinful one his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord so he may have compassion on him and to our God, uh, for he will freely forgive. Verse 8. The Lord says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts and your ways are not my ways. Now, I've quoted this before in other episodes. To me, this is one of the most powerful statements. See, we have a tendency to want to ascribe to only those things that we understand, only those things that make sense to us, only those things that we consider to be rational. You know, because if we see something or hear about something or whatever, and we don't consider it to be rational or reasonable or understandable or whatever, then we will have the tendency to discard it. But the Lord says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts and your ways are not my ways. You see? <clears throat> so his ways and thoughts are not what we're... we're uh, are not the way we operate. And therefore, because they're not the way we operate, we need to be attuned to those times when we may want to discard something because it doesn't make sense to us. 
because it stands to reason that it's not going to make sense to us if, in fact, the thoughts and ways are above us. See, it doesn't make any sense that we would be able to understand things that are above our level of comprehension. Because if they weren't above our level of comprehension, we could comprehend them, which means that they could be a part of our thoughts and our ways. And so only if we can't comprehend, only if it doesn't make any sense to us, you know, or we don't like it or whatever, this is, well, this may not be of me. This may not be of something uh, that I am designed and constructed to understand. This possibly could be of the Lord. Then we have to, a decision to make. See? Then we have to decide for ourselves whether we ascribe to it or not, even if we don't understand it, even if it doesn't make sense to us. You see, Because if something doesn't make sense to us, then it doesn't make sense to me Okay, that I have to understand and comprehend everything for me to associate it with God. Because then I am therefore putting myself in the position of God if something has to make sense to me in order for me to assign it to being from the Lord. I don't know if any of that makes sense, but it makes sense to me. <laughs> so let's go on. For my thoughts are not your thoughts and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. So he's declaring this. Verse uh, uh, 9. As, um, oh, for as heaven is higher than earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so uh, the Lord is essentially being a lawyer here and is proving to you why this is true. As heaven is higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. That, to me, that makes sense. <laughs> Verse 10, it says, for just as rain and snow fall from the heaven and do not return there without saturating the earth and making it germinate and sprout and providing seed to sow and food to eat. So my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I send it to do. So the Lord is saying, I don't speak empty words. I don't make empty declarations. What I say will return after it has after it has been accomplished. And everything I say and declare will be accomplished because I don't speak empty words. And the question is, you know, and the question always is, do we or don't we believe that? I happen to believe that is absolute fact. Let's go on to chapter 56. And it says a house of all prayer. And it says in verse one, this is what the Lord says, preserve justice and do what is right for my salvation is coming soon and my righteousness will be revealed. Happy is the person who does this, the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it and keeps his hand from doing any evil. It says preserve justice and do what is right. See, We should be about that. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, 365 days a year. We should be about that all the time, preserving justice and doing what is right. It says, for the person who does this, the son of man who holds to it fast and who keeps my Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath is one of those things that I see in the Old Testament that used to really, really confound me. It says, what are you saying here? What are you saying? I'm, I'm going to um, expand on that a little bit later. Um, either today or tomorrow. I can't remember where it comes up. But anyway, in verse 3, 
It says, no foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord should say, the Lord will exclude me from his people. So here we see again that uh, what the Lord is saying is not just for the Israelites. It's not just for the Jews. This is for all humanity. The Lord will, um, the foreigner or the, the Gentile should not say that the Lord will exclude me from his people. And of those Gentiles, the ones who are in even a worse condition and the eunuchs should not say, a eunuch is a castrated male. A eunuch, uh, and the eunuch should not say, look, I am a dried up tree. He's saying eunuchs. No, don't say that. In verse four, for the Lord says, for eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold firmly to my covenant, I will give them in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them, I will give each of them an everlasting name that will never be cut off. And so the Lord is telling the eunuchs, look, I got a special place for you. You know, you suffered in this life, but I got a special place for you. So don't be downtrodden, downtrodden. Don't hold your head down. Don't. No, 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 no. No, I've got something glorious ahead for you. In verse six, it says, as for the foreigner, as for the foreigner, as for the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister him, uh, to love the name of the Lord and to become his servants, all who keep his Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold firmly to my covenant. It says, I will bring them to my holy mountain and let them rejoice in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. For every people, for everybody. My house will be called a house of prayer for everybody. Everybody's eligible for this. That is tremendously awesome. Let's drop down here. The title says, uh, Unrighteous Leaders Condemned. Uh Uh-oh. It says in verse 10, Israel's watchmen are blind, all of them. They know nothing. All of them are mute dogs. They cannot bark. Uh, They dream, uh, lie down, and love to sleep. In verse 11, these dogs have fierce appetites. They never have enough. And they are shepherds who have no discernment. They are leaders with no discernment. They, They don't understand anything. All of them turn to their own way, every last one for his own profit. And so when we look at this through the prism of our politicians of the day, and it says these dogs have fierce appetites. They never have enough. Appetites for what? Power, money, influence. These dogs have a fierce appetite. They never have enough. You cannot satiate these dogs. They always want more, always want more, always want more. Says they are shepherds and have no discernment. All of them go their own way, every last one of them for their own profit. If this is not prophetic with regard to what we see in present day politics and people who manipulate the system, the political system and whatnot, I don't know what a prophecy is. This is exactly what we're dealing with. It says in verse 12, come, let me get some wine. Let's guzzle some beer, and tomorrow uh, will be like today, only far better. And so this is the this is the these are the dogs. 
You know, the dogs are saying, you know, these are the politicians, the leaders. They're saying, come, uh, let me get some wine. Let's guzzle some beer. Come, let's get drunk. And tomorrow will be like today. Only it'll be far better. See? And so that's why you can't satisfy this dog because he always wants more. Gives him an inch. He wants a, he wants a foot. Then he wants a yard. Then he wants a half mile. Then he wants a mile. Then he wants 10 miles. Never satisfied. And if we don't wake up as a people with regard to this is what drives the typical politician and we keep dividing ourselves amongst which team we're on and we're not seeing that we're being played, you know, by those that are playing a different game, uh, then we will just be, um, for lack of a better term, screwed. <clears throat> Let's go on to verse or excuse me, chapter 57. And it says pagan religion denounce. Verse 3, but come here, you witches' sons, offspring of an adulterer and prostitute, you who are mocking, uh, you who are opening your mouth and sticking out your tongue at uh, the others. In other words, uh, you people who mock those who believe in God. See, see you're, 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 you are worshiping something else. See, we're all created to worship. We're going to worship something. The question is what? It says, you people who don't believe in me, you're worshiping something else, even though you may not recognize and acknowledge it, and you're mocking the people that are devoted uh, to me. This is what the Lord is saying. He's talking to these people. He's, he's calling those people witches' sons. And it says, you who are mocking, you who are opening your mouth, you are sticking uh, out your tongue. Isn't it you, you rebellious children, you offspring of liars who burn with lust amongst the, uh, the oaks? He says, aren't you who mock my people, aren't you the one that are burning, burning with lust for something other than me? You see, and it says um, down in verse eight, it says, you have set up your memorial behind the door and doorpost uh, far away from me. You stripped, went up and made your bed wide. In other words, you got naked, went upstairs and opened your bed to practically anybody <laughs> that would uh, satisfy your lust. And it says, and you have made a bargain for yourselves with them. So you have made a bargain for yourselves with these uh, these other idols that you have in your life. And it says you have loved their bed. And get this, it says you have gazed, you have lusted. You have sought after. You have gazed on their genitals. <laughs> I love the Bible, how it makes these analogies, right? It says you have lusted after intimate relationships with these idols that you have in your life. And you have mocked the people that have elevated me and called on my name. And so the Lord is denouncing that. It says in verse 12, it says, I will announce your righteousness and your works. They will not profit you. When you cry out, let your collection of idols rescue you. See, when you hit the hard places in life, then let's see what kind of power those you worship have. Those things, organizations, people any and everything other than me. Let's see what happens then. The next heading says healing and peace. And it says in verse uh, 15, um, for the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy, says this, I live in a high and holy place and with the oppressed and lowly of spirit, I revive the spirit of the lonely and revive the heart of the oppressed. And so the Lord is saying, look, I live high in a high and lofty place called heaven. 
you know, I dwell there. But I also dwell with the lowly and the oppressed of spirit. See, I live, I, 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 I revive their spirit. I live there, but I also live down here. For I will not, uh, for I will not accuse you forever, and I will not always be angry. See, this is the Lord saying, look, I know I have done this in the past, but I'm not going to always do this. And it says, <clears throat> I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will uh, lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners. Creating words of praise, uh, the Lord says, peace, peace to the one who is far or near, and I will heal him. And so the Lord said, look, I've seen your ways, but I will still heal you. I will still bring you comfort to you and your mourners. Creating words of praise, the Lord says, peace, peace to the one who is far or near. I will heal you. He's available for healing. He says, verse 20, but the wicked are like the storm caught. The wicked are like the storm tossed sea. There is no peace for the wicked, says my God. So the Lord is saying, look, I will heal those who are of me, even though they fail sometimes. Yes, I know they fail sometimes, but I will heal them. But the wicked, there is no peace. There will be no peace because they are making a continuous de a decision to, to deny and defy me. And so they're going to reap what they sow. And with that, we will pick it up in chapter 58 tomorrow. Everybody have a wonderful and blessed day. Take care and bye-bye.